Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. Glad to have you with us here in the room and glad to have those of you with us who are joining us online. Uh, however it is that you've gathered today, we are glad Glad to have you worshiping with us. We like to begin this, our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that the Lord is present with us when we gather to worship him. Whether we're here in the room and right now while you're watching with us, the Lord is present with you right where you are. He meets us in our reality. He doesn't keep his distance from us or just shout at us from the sky. He comes to us and meets us where we are. Lord, I thank you for that hope that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that though we were in shackles and chains, you have set us free. Father, no one could do that for us but you through the redemptive work of your son. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for that work today. I thank you and praise you that you have loved us enough to do that for us. Lord, no matter how many times we've been broken, no matter how many times the world has tried to drag us down, we still have a hope in you. And that hope is eternal, that hope is all-powerful, and will bring us up out of the deep, miry clay, no matter how many times we find ourselves there. Lord, I thank you for this day and for gathering us here, for each person that's joined us in the building, for each person that is with us online. Lord, you've given us a glorious day today, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I can do nothing more this morning than give you all the honor and the praise and the glory and the blessing forever and ever and pray these things in your blessed holy name and say amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Well, wave hello at each other. If you are close by and want to give a fist bump or whatever, we don't want to wander too far, but... We're starting to ease up on things a little bit, so getting back a little more to normal. And I don't know about you, I'm very thankful for that, aren't you? Whew, man, I'm so thankful. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there you go, there you go. So this morning, um, I'm going to ask Pastor Rich to come and share some announcements with us and then bring us the word. Thank you, Pastor Judy. I'm going to steal one of these stands, if you don't mind. Sorry, Mary. And... Uh, yeah, so uh, if, you, if you missed the memo, uh, we did decide at the very least that once you're seated in your, uh, in your socially distanced position from each other, you can take your masks off and, and uh, breathe a little bit easier, smile at each other, recognize each other across the room for a change. Um, hopefully, as more and more of us get vaccinated, that uh, down the road we'll be at a place where we can just shake hands and hug and laugh together and all that good stuff. Uh, hopefully by next week, maybe, we'll have coffee again, and then gradually we'll have snacks and other kinds of things. So anyway, uh, we're getting closer and closer to uh, what feels like normal once again, hopefully. Uh, yeah, keep praying. All right. Uh, we, we, one way that you can uh, let us know that you're with us, especially those of you who are watching online, would be to go to livinghope.info slash connect. There's a little digital connect card there. Uh, you can let us know that you are uh, worshiping with us today, share with us anything that we uh, can pray for you about or something you're thanking God for or a question you might have. Uh, that'd be great. If, for those of you in the room, uh, there's, a little, there's some little green cards back there right by the offering box. You can take one of those and just put your info on there and, uh, and share whatever question or feedback you'd like with us. If you'd rather use pencil than your smartphone, uh, you can do that. Um, and then just drop that in the offering box. And if you're giving today, you can drop that in there too. Uh, and for all of us, uh, the rest of us, we can go to livinghope.info give. You can give online uh, with your 
checking account or credit card or whatever, and um, that works really well. Um, this, uh, I forgot to mention last week, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we've got a new small group that has started up on Tuesday nights. Uh, it's uh, just met once so far. It's especially aimed at folks who are feeling the weight of the isolation of this whole thing, the extended uh, pandemic isolation, and some folks have really been struggling with that, feeling depressed and those sorts of things. So they're going through a book called uh, Jesus is In, I think, a Christian approach to counseling or something like that to the, the subtitle. Pastor Judy is leading it and uh, working their way through a book uh, written by a pastor friend that, uh, that so far they've found very, very helpful. So if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, Pastor Judy is the person you'd want to talk to to get details for it, but it's here on Tuesday nights at 530. And um, and of course, you're welcome to join us Wednesday nights at 5.30. Uh, we have a Bible study, and uh, it's kind of an open discussion format. Um, if what we've been talking about on Sundays is we've been making our way through these uh, big, tough, awkward questions, if you're like, oh, come on, Rich, you didn't get anywhere close to the part of that I was curious about, or I've, I've still got a follow-up I need to ask, uh, of course, you can you know, send me one of those little Connect cards and ask it, or if you'd like to show up Wednesday night, we can have a conversation about it. And uh, we have folks bring all sorts of questions on Wednesday night, so that's a, that's a good thing. And, um, and this, because uh, we've got some uh, folks graduating from high school, next Sunday, I can mention this, right? You said I could tell people, invite people? Okay. Next Sunday, uh, Anna Lee, who was just up here on keys and vocals, uh, she's uh, graduated from high school. And next Sunday, from noon to five, over at uh, Zayo Island, she's having her uh, graduation party. So you're, you're welcome to drop by to, uh, to join them for that. So that'd be a, a fun time. So... Um, congratulate her or whatever you need to do uh, for making it through high school, especially given the circumstances of, <laughs> of your senior year. Oh, man. All right. Um, and uh, I think the other, we got like four people graduating from high school. Two of them said, eh, just not doing parties. And, uh, and Annalise got hers this next Sunday, and the other one's like in July. So I'll get those details to you, too, if you want to go to Angela's party in July. All right. Uh, we are continuing this, uh, this message series with questions that you have asked about a variety of issues, and we've, we've answered some questions about the Bible and about prayer, and, and um, today uh, is a question, well, you've got the, the two questions that are there. Uh, those of you in the room, my apologies again to all of you watching online. Uh, this past week, I completely failed to get the stuff together so that you would have it on the screen. Um, lucky you in the room, you've got a little handout, and um, you're just going to have to pay extra close attention. I'm sorry. Uh, but two questions, bless you, two questions that, uh, that came in about LGBTQ issues. One of them having to do with families, one of them had to do with the church. Uh, somebody asked, how do we love and support family members? And the way they worded it was, we're living a lifestyle we disagree with. And they said, like LGBTQ, um, while also supporting God's word. And their, their question was a little longer than that. I was trying to summarize it. Um, I was saying, like, you know, especially, you know, if we've got a, a family member, a son, a daughter, a, a relative, somebody who, you know, they've come out to us and... You know, we, we know what we believe God's word says about this, but man, we don't want to make our family member feel unloved. We want to make sure their emphasis in their question was, how do we make sure that we're loving them well um, when we've got what we think God's word says about this? How do we put those things together? And the second was a similar question. When a, they said, when a church welcomes everyone, as they think we should, uh, how do we make sure that we're staying true to God's word and not being swayed by, like, surrounding cultural views? Again, that's my kind of try, attempt to summarize uh, the question that was being asked there. Um, so, um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm sure I'm not going to address this uh, to everyone's satisfaction, all right? Some of you will be unhappy kind of with where our church stands on this. Some of you might not be happy with how I describe uh, what I think we ought to do with these things. Um, I hope that you will be as, uh, as 
gracious as possible uh, with me uh, with this. And if I, at some point, am saying something and you just feel like, well, hang on, wait a minute, what about this? Feel free, wave at me, interrupt me, you know, ask away, all right? So uh, to get us started, I just thought we might make sure we're all talking about the same thing, okay? So I went ahead and put in your notes just kind of understanding terms, all right? Uh, when we say LGBTQ, what do we mean by those letters, all right? Um, uh, L, G, B, and T all stand for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. The Q stands for queer, which the Q could mean just about anything, frankly. Uh, uh, this is as I was reading and preparing for today. Um, and I should say, this isn't the first time we've talked about this. You can go back and listen. Um, I think it was 2018, we did a similar Q&A series, and there was a question about this. 2016, we, uh, we talked about this. Pretty much every couple of years, this comes up as we do our best to address questions people are asking. And this is a perennial question. Uh, different, it's been asked in different ways. You know, back when uh, uh, same-sex marriage was before the Supreme Court, you know, you were asking about that. Um, in the past, when there's been real concerns about uh, bathroom bills and those kinds of things, when it comes to transgender folks, uh, that has been kind of a top of mind sometimes for some of you. Uh, this time, the question came from someone asking specifically about, like, family who uh, are dealing with this and, and folks that we welcome. You know, how do we balance that uh, uh, that grace and truth thing. You know, how do we make sure that we're welcoming folks and at the same time staying true to what we believe God's Word says on this issue? Uh, so we're going to talk about what God's Word says about this, and, and hopefully by the end of it we'll, we'll all feel like we've got some, I don't know, some direction, a little bit better handle on it. But anyway, the L, the G, and the B of those acronyms, those all refer to sexual orientation or attraction. They're a little bit different than the T part of, and the Q part of it. Um, oh, I, sorry, I got down that road. I was saying the queer can mean just about anything, and that comes from folks in the LGBTQ community. That's not me saying, like, oh, who knows what they mean by that. That's them saying, um, folks from who would use, say this describes them, saying it's a broad term. It can mean all sorts of things. It used to be hurled as an epithet, as something that people were, like, you know, trying to put them down and say, shout that at them. And then folks in the LGBT community decided, you know what, no, we, we like that term. We own that term. It just means that we're different from you in some way. Um, so that could mean just about anything. Uh, if someone says they're queer, that's a, in my mind, that's kind of an invitation to say like, oh, tell me what you mean by that. And you can have a conversation and get to know them a little bit better. Uh, the L, the G, and the B all stand for, like I said, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and those have to do with one's orientation. Like, what direction do your attractions go? Um, I don't know how many of you remember when uh, you first started feeling those feelings of attraction toward people. You know, I, for me, it was somewhere in that middle school range. I can't remember which grade exactly along the way that uh, I started to, you know, notice girls a little bit differently than I had noticed them before, right? And uh, I don't know what that was for you or when that happened. Um, but uh, for these folks, by and large, uh, as they went through that phase in life, they realized, like, uh, oh, I'm not just like all of my friends. Um, while all my other guy friends are attracted to the girls, I'm finding, you know, that guy more attractive. Uh, or woman who finds women attractive, you know. Um, that's just the direction that their attractions took them. Or bisexual, meaning they they find themselves attracted to both men and women. Um, so that doesn't necessarily refer to behavior. Uh, there are all sorts of folks that would describe themselves as a gay man or as a lesbian or bisexual. That doesn't mean they're... Um, you know, like I've got a friend who's a pastor who describes himself as bisexual. He's been married to a woman for years. You know, he's pastoring a church. It doesn't mean he's out having sex with men. It's just if he's honest about his attractions, he says, yeah, I kind of find myself equally attracted to both men and women. 
Um, now, for himself, he, the person he fell in love with and married is a woman, and, you know, and they are very happily married. Uh, and same thing, I was just, uh, one of the videos I was watching this last week is somebody who had, had read his book, and I was catching up on some of the, his videos that he's made about uh, his own life. He's a, a Christian who's a gay man, and, and um, Justin Lee wrote a book called Torn, excellent book. If any of you are interested in hearing from someone, their perspective on what it was like to grow up as a Christian and then discover you have these uh, attractions, this orientation, and, and what do you do with that, and how do you wrestle through that. Uh, excellent book. And um, he himself still unmarried. You know, he's open to it for himself personally. He's like, this is something I believe God's okay with, and, and I would like to fall in love and get married someday, but still single, you know. And, um, and so this isn't a reference to behavior necessarily. Um, just like when I was in middle school, you know, discovering that I was heterosexual and attracted to girls didn't mean I was out having sex with a bunch of girls, right? Or even kissing girls. You know, I mean, it, it meant that maybe I wanted to, but it doesn't mean that I was, Right? So these are references to what direction their attractions go. And then the T has to do with, uh, transgender has to do with gender identity or expression. Gender identity being a reference to how they view themselves, right? Like um, identifying themselves, saying like, yes, I am a man, or yes, I am a woman, or uh, non-binary. Some people, uh, now you, you hear that term, meaning like they don't fit into that neat little binary category of male or female. Uh, they find themselves somewhere in between or just not fitting those categories necessarily. Uh, that's gender identity. Gender expression is then how that appears on the outside to others. You know, how they present themselves to the world. Do they present themselves as male? Do they present themselves as female? Or do they present themselves as androgynous, you know, indeterminate? You, you know, I'm sure we all know people that we've uh, first met them and we had no idea if they were male or female and we waited until we heard them refer to themselves in some way, you know, so that we'd know what pronouns to use. He, him, she, her, uh, they, them. Um, so that's... The T part, transgender, has to do with um, someone's gender identity or expression. And it may be totally disconnected from attraction, orientation, that sort of thing. Um, these are two different conversations, but they are part of the same community because they both find themselves, um, well, I guess outside the norm might be the best way to put it. Statistically, the majority of the world is not transgender. They're, the term is cisgender, where you're your gender identity and expression, it matches your biological sex, you know, or the gender you were assigned at birth. You know, so you have the little, little baby that's born and the doctor looks between the legs and says, it's a boy or it's a girl, you know, um, and you're marked as male or female from the time you're born. There are um, a number of people who are born and it's not entirely clear. Um, intersex is the term that's often used for that uh, umbrella term for lots of different conditions. Um, there are kids that are born where they think it's uh, one gender, and then as they grow up, they realize, oh, hey, I think we were wrong. Um, as this child has developed, you know, there was a, um, um, uh, like a hormonal issue during development, or um, all, there are all sorts of a variety of issues that happen during sexual development uh, that can lead to all sorts of issues that people face. And, um, <clears throat> and then so some of those folks, like I said, it's not the majority, but there are folks Sexual minorities, I guess, would be a term, or an umbrella term, for the folks in the LGBTQ community. Um, they are not the majority, but this is a very real situation that they face. And so, okay, uh, what, do we, what do we do with that is the question. What do they do with that? Uh, what, how do you um, love yourself? How do you love others if you find yourself uh, as an LGBTQ individual or if you find yourself with a family member who says to you, hey, I think I might be trans or hey, I think I might be gay or anything of the sort. Um, 
did not plan necessarily for this message to happen uh, during Pride Month, but it does. Uh, this is a month where uh, we see all sorts of things in the media, in your social media feeds. Uh, folks, uh, there are marches, there are parades. Uh, it's a time where folks who have often found themselves uh, ostracized or uh, pushed aside or, um, or worse. Um, it's a time where we as a society have said, look, you don't need to hide anymore. You can be yourself. You can be honest about who you are. Now, you might not always agree with the way they express that, <laughs> right? But we live in a society that, that values freedom. You know, we're about to have July 4th weekend in a month. And we're in a society, we just had Memorial Day, thanking God for those who died so that we could be free. And uh, part of the freedom that our society offers is for people to be honest about who they are. And, um, and so we see that reflected in, uh, in parades and marches and, and all sorts of things. Um, and frankly, I feel like we as a church... Um, <laughs> We as a church should be a safe place for people to be honest about what they're going through and, and who they are. Uh, if any place is going to be a place where people can be honest about their struggles or about their situation or about the help that they need or just about anything, I feel like the church ought to be that place where people can say, yes, this is, this is who I am, this is what I'm dealing with, this is, you know. Um, I mean, after all, the Christian journey starts with us finally, uh, when we finally quit pretending, when we quit hiding. Um, the very first story in the Bible, you know, Adam and Eve sin, and they hide from God. God comes to walk with them in the garden, and they, they run from God. They hide from each other. They hide from God. They're ashamed of themselves. And the Christian faith says, look, God loves you. You don't need to keep hiding. If you want to, uh, it's safe to come out of the shadows. It's safe to be honest with God and be honest with each other because God loves you and is full of grace and is uh, ready to forgive any sin you may have committed, willing, willing to embrace you and to, uh, to welcome you home. Uh, if, if the Christian walk begins with us just being honest with God and saying, God, you're right, I've sinned, I've been living life for me, I've not been living life for you, I've been going down my own path instead of going down your path, I've been deciding for myself what's right and wrong instead of letting you decide what's right and wrong, um, please, God, I need your help. Um, here's who I am. And we're just honest with him. If that's how the Christian journey begins, then the church ought to be a place where we're all um, able to be honest about what we're going through and not worry that someone's going to um, mock us or reject us or any number of other things. So, uh, you know what, I'm just going to comment briefly on the T part of the acronym, on the transgender bit. Uh, before moving on, most of the, the scriptures that I've got here, there are five uh, times where homosexual activity is mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to just uh, touch on those briefly. But first, I just want to mention the transgender part. Uh, there is not much in the Bible about this transgender question, um, just to be honest with you. Uh, there's like one verse that says something about men shouldn't dress like women uh, in the Old Testament, and it's surrounded by other commands that we, frankly, no longer follow. Um, you know, we wear clothes that are blended with uh, two different fabrics. We plant our fields with two different kinds of crops. We, uh, we eat all the shellfish we can at the buffet. Um, it's right in with those kinds of commands, telling his people not to do those things. And that doesn't mean we just ignore all those things, right? It doesn't mean that those are just meaningless. We just talked last week about how all Scripture is inspired, is useful. It tells us the story of how God has been at work in his people, with his people down through the ages, and now is at work with us today. Um, but there's a reason that we Christians don't follow the, um, the kosher 
dietary laws in the Old Testament. There's a reason that we feel comfortable wearing the polyblend shirts. And there's a reason that, you know, likewise, we may not need to um, care so much about that one verse about cross-dressing or whatever. Although even to say that, um, that's assuming that it's a man dressing up as a woman, uh, which is often how I hear this described, as I hear especially conservative Christians talk about uh, transgender neighbors, as to say, well, that's a, that's a man dressed like, it's a man in a dress kind of a thing. And uh, I gotta say, I find that, uh, personally, I find that pretty unloving. Um, disrespectful to, to talk about folks in that way. Uh, one, of the, one of the scriptures we'll look at in a little bit is where Jesus tells us to do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, it's one of those kind of bedrock you know, commands of Jesus. We're trying to teach it to our five-year-olds. Uh, I was just having to repeat that to Jonathan this morning because he had taken one of David's trucks and David was in tears. Anyway, um, and when I think, like, I, I'm hoping that you guys will call me by the name I ask you to call me. You know, my, name's, my, name's, my full name is Richard, right? I usually go by Rich. Some people, as I try to say my name together, Rich Schmidt, they hear me say Rick, and they call me Rick, and I have to uh, correct them. I say I prefer Rich, and they say, oh, sorry, Rich. I would like them to call me by the name that I choose, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, If someone asks me to call them by a name other than the one their parents gave them when they were born, to me it just seems respectful. Okay, I'll call you whatever you want to be called. Um, I'll call you by the name you'd like for me to call you. And... uh, uh, to go back for just a moment, uh, the reason that I think a lot of conservative Christians feel like, well, but they're a man. They're not a woman. They were born a man. They need to, you know, so they might not like it or they might want to be different, but that's how God made them. There is so much that we don't understand about sex and gender and how these things uh, interplay and work together, how they develop. Um, you know, I, I hear people say, well, it's the chromosomes, just the XX or the XY. Oh, well, guess what? There are a whole lot of folks, you know, who their chromosomes don't match their external, you know, ex, you know sexual appearance. Uh, their, bio, their external biology doesn't match necessarily their internal biology. And there's so much more that we don't understand about a person's sense of who they are. Uh, I've, I've uh, heard and read some stories that are just heartbreaking uh, about folks who um, have you know, known, been so uncomfortable with their bodies that they have sometimes uh, uh, gone to great lengths to try to, to deal with that. And the general, um, right now, the general medical consensus, not, not 100% agreement, but the general medical consensus is that when someone has gender dysphoria, is what they call it, to the extent that they're going to harm themselves, that the best thing is to, to try to help them deal with that by allowing them to uh, modify their external appearance to match what their, their, sense, their internal sense of self when it comes to their gender. Um, a lot of conservative Christians will go back, but, but right at the beginning of the Bible, it says God created them male and female. It's like in the image of God, he created us male and female. It's, it's simple. It's not that hard, Rich. You're making it too complicated. Well, Sorry, I'm not trying to make it complicated. I'm trying to love my neighbors, right? And I'm trying to read scripture and take it for what it says. So Genesis 1, yes, it says God created us male and female. It says that uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? That God uh, said, let there be light, and there was light, and he separated the, the light from the darkness. There was day, there was night. There was the waters above, the waters below. There was the, the waters and the dry land. Genesis 1 is all about setting up dualities. Now, I don't know about you, I love watching the sunset. It's beautiful. 
at some, there's like all this in-between time, between like day and night, that it gets really pretty, right? And so, yes, God creates day and night, and they're separated, but it doesn't just, there's not like a neat binary there, right? Of like, okay, there's day, there's night, it goes from full light to, you know, pitch black. No, there's this range, there's a spectrum, same thing for water and land. If you've ever been to the beach and you see the water you know, coming up and going down and the tides change and, the, and there's wetlands and there's, you know, is that land, is that water, is that, well, it's land and water. So we shouldn't be surprised if part of God's creation, if some of our neighbors tell us that they don't neatly fit into the binary of male and female or if perhaps they were born with a condition or a situation where they find that they're... Um, sense of self doesn't necessarily match their external appearance. And they're doing their best to deal with that. Uh, it would be easy, sometimes it seems like it's easy for those of us who don't experience that, just like it's easy for any majority who hasn't experienced what a minority has experienced, to overlook that, to be dismissive of it, to say, well, that just doesn't make sense to me, and to, to not listen to their story. But again, if, if we're going to do to others as we would have them do to us, then we're going to listen to their stories. We're going to respect them. We're going to take them at their word that they're telling us the truth about themselves as best as they understand it, right? All right, so, um, so again, the Bible does not have a whole lot to say about the transgender issue. Our church that we're a part of, the Church of the Nazarene, um, several years ago, every four years usually, ha, it would have been this, this summer, but it got postponed a couple of years because of COVID. Every four years it has what's called a general assembly where the church sends representatives, they gather from around the world to discuss issues, to, um, to adopt statements, to you know, make modifications if we need to, to uh, our stand on things or our article of faith or all those kinds of, the ways that we govern ourselves. And, um, and it's a, it's a, well, I was going to say it's a fun process. It's not fun. Uh, it's, I was going to say it's interesting. Well, only if you're like a church nerd is it interesting. But I'm a church nerd. I'm a pastor. So I find those things interesting. And, and four years ago, there were, there were two proposals that made their way through, one having to do with human sexuality and the other having to do with gender identity and expression. And the, uh, the human sexuality one, uh, they were able to reach some agreement on and pass the statement on human sexuality, which uh, you, can, you can Google it if you want. Just Google Church of the Nazarene statement on human sexuality in marriage, and it'll pop up for you. Or I put a link on the back of your notes for those of you here in the room. And you can read uh, that statement that was put together. Uh, the statement on gender identity, uh, some people on the floor presented some amendments, some other people countered, they weren't able to come to an agreement on it. And so our denomination doesn't have any official statement on transgender issues or transgender, th these questions of gender identity or, and expression. Uh, we may, a couple years from now, when we have another General Assembly, I might come back and say, well, here's what our denomination says on this now. Um, but if I didn't say this already, um, I'm happy to tell you what I believe the Bible says about these things and what our church our church, larger church, says about these things. That doesn't mean I can dictate to you what you have to think about these things. Um, there is disagreement. Well, I actually put this there in your notes. After mentioning the, different, uh, the five different places where homosexual activity is mentioned in the Bible, uh, two in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament, I, I just wrote there, sincere Bible-believing Christians disagree on what these verses are referring to and how they apply to our lives today. Our church understands them to say that same-sex sexual activity is sinful, uh, orientation and temptation are not sins. Uh, following temptations to action is, is when something becomes sin. But uh, I mention this to say that like, there are Christians who disagree on this, who disagree with the Church of the Nazarene. And frankly, that's okay. I mean, that's the reality that we live with. 
Uh, just like there are churches that disagree with this, I think I mentioned last week, uh, with like women in ministry. There are churches that say, no, no, women can't be pastors. And in the church in Nazarene, we've always said, no, women can be pastors. God's Holy Spirit calls them to pastor, gives them the gifts to pastor, to preach. And so we try not to get in God's way when it comes to that. Uh, now, obviously, I hope we're not getting in God's way when it comes to this issue. I hope that we are rightly understanding what God has said to us in his word and making sense of what God seems to be doing in the world. But it's possible that we're wrong. You know, I mean, those, those Christians, those churches that I think they're wrong about women in ministry, they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I don't, I don't believe that, like, we're the only ones going to be in heaven someday or something. Um, so I just want to make sure that you guys know that sincere Bible-believing Christians disagree on, uh, on how to best interpret and apply these verses to our lives. Um, and so if you don't like what I'm saying, I guess you could just get up and go to the church down the road. Um, or we could continue to wrestle with them together. Um, and we could um, love each other in spite of disagreement, uh, which I think is what Christ would have us to do. All right. Uh, so just real quick, I just listed them for you, those, uh, those five passages that specifically mention same-sex sexual activity. Uh, two in Leviticus. Uh, like I said, among a whole bunch of other laws, some of which we still pay attention to, some of which we don't. Uh, Leviticus 18 says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That's detestable. Similar in chapter 20, verse 13 says, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable, um, which is slightly different. In the first one, it's just the, I guess, active partner who has done something detestable. And the second uh, situation, they said they both have done something detestable, and detestable does not mean like icky or gross. It means like this is something that God does not approve of. And uh, and if you kind of hit the search on that word in your Bible app or your Bible website, you'll find that it's used several times throughout the Old Testament. Uh, many times having to do with like idolatry or worship of other gods, as as God was leading His people from uh, dehumanizing slavery in Egypt into a land where they would uh, have some measure of freedom. He was trying to help them understand what it meant to be human, how to live in a way that honored Him, and He knew they were going to be surrounded by people who had very different concepts of what it meant to be human and who God is and and who we are to be. And some of them did, as you'll read in the context of some of these verses, some of them did some truly detestable things. They thought in order to worship our God and please our God, we have to offer our children as sacrifices. Some of their neighbors did that. Some of their neighbors uh, in the worship of their gods uh, had all kinds of sexual uh, things. Temple prostitution was a thing. Uh, and like to worship God, you showed... It was a very different thing than what we experience on Sunday mornings. So let's just say that, all right? Uh, when you showed up to worship that God, there were all kinds of things going on that, uh, you know, we don't talk about on Sunday morning. Um, and so people have disagreed about... You know, these particular verses, is this having to do with um, God trying to protect them from some of those other activities, some of the uh, wrong conceptions of who God is and who we are to be? Um, There's disagreement. Or is this just a blanket statement saying, nope, God set it up that sex is just to be between men and women, and to cross that boundary is to do something displeasing to God? Um, in, In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, the three references are all from the Apostle Paul's letters. Um, to Romans, to the Corinthians, and to uh, Timothy, his protege. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, um, it, Romans is an interesting letter because he's trying to address the difficulties that the early Christians are having between the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, they've all now been welcomed into God's family uh, through Jesus Christ, through trusting in Christ. And where, where it used to be just the Jews were God's people, now all of a sudden God is welcoming all these Gentile folks and not forcing them to convert to Judaism, not forcing them to follow all those 
laws and commands in the Old Testament. Not forcing them to get circumcised, not forcing them to follow the dietary laws, all kinds of things that these folks aren't being asked to do. And of course, that then caused tension, right? Because here they had people trying to coexist in one church, which might have been smaller than ours even, you know, gathered together in a home to worship. And, uh, and how do we agree to disagree about some of these, what seemed to them like very essential things? And so in Romans, he's trying to get them to that place of acknowledging that they're all on equal footing before God, that they all are in need of God's grace. And, and in chapter one, he talks about the Gentiles. And basically, he's talking to his fellow Jews uh, who are following Jesus, saying, we know that they're dirty, rotten sinners, right? And, uh, and, and in part of that, he says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error, and, uh, which a verse that sadly was used during the AIDS crisis to uh, by too many Christians to point the finger and saying they're just getting what's coming to them. What a horrific way for us to respond to our neighbors in need. Um, that's part. That's one of the things that we need to uh, acknowledge and make sure we don't repeat that kind of mistake again. Um, and so he continues. He goes on to talk about just how how dirty and rotten those Gentiles are as they have abandoned God and they're worshiping idols and God just kind of gave them over to the their shame of their lusts and they just they just took things all out of control. And then he gets to chapter 2, and he says, and those of you who are judging them right now, you're judging yourselves. Could you do the same thing? And he, and he kind of pulls it back on his fellow Jews and says, you're not obeying God either. You're disobeying God in this way and that way. And, and basically saying, who are you to look down on somebody else for the ways that they have disobeyed God? We all are in need of God's grace. And uh, you get to chapter 3, and he's saying, like, look, guys, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard for our lives. We all come to God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we do with that passage, that, that little bit of him describing how awful kind of the, the Gentile world is apart from God, how do we relate that to a Christian who is raising their kids to know and to follow and to trust Jesus Christ, and when that child is going through adolescence and is saying, uh, Mom, Dad, I think I might be gay. I'm not experiencing the same things that my friends are. I'm, this is, seems to be the reality I'm living with. They're not somebody who has abandoned God, who is worshiping idols, who is, you know, following their lusts. It's somebody who is doing their best to, to honor God with their lives, and they're saying, this, is, this seems to be the hand that I've been dealt when it comes to my orientation. What should I do with this? You, you can see why there's some question with how to connect Romans chapter 1 with experiences like, like that one. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, the Corinthian church was a mess, if you read these, these letters, First and Second Corinthians. And one of the things they were doing is they were taking each other to court. And so I went ahead and backed up a couple verses before the, the part about the, the sex part uh, to verse 7, where he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's saying, you're doing wrong by doing what you're doing right now. Don't you know that wrongdoers won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And then he goes ahead and lists a bunch of ways that we can do wrong. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Well, asterisk in just about everybody's Bible at that point. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And that little asterisk, in my Bible anyway, says that this, this men who have sex with men is translating two Greek words for the act, what seems to be the active and the passive partners in uh, a same-sex sexual encounter. He says, these folks, all these wrongdoers won't inherit the kingdom of God. And remember, he's just said, and you are doing wrong. And so that's where he goes. And he says, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, you used to be doing all that stuff, but God got a hold of you. He washed you clean. He's been making you holy. That's what sanctified means. You've been made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of our God, you are being transformed. Your life has been changed. You're not a drunkard anymore. You're not swindling people. You're not stealing people. You're not living a greedy life. You're not living a sexually immoral life. And I suppose maybe there were some of them who fit into that men who have sex with men category. And he's, he's saying, you used to be wrongdoers, but now... You've been changed by God. It's probably a good moment for me to just pause and say uh, that for a long time, the, the Christian church's response to folks who uh, found themselves with a gay or lesbian uh, orientation was to say, well, we need to, we need to pray for that. We need, to, we need to ask God to heal you of that. We need to send you to therapy. It's called conversion therapy now, and has largely been, largely been uh, shown to be ineffective and, in fact, harmful. Um, the testimonies of dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people who went through conversion therapy was that it doesn't seem to work. It seems to be based on false premises. Um, and in fact, it seemed to be very, very harmful to the people who endured it, who, who tried desperately, who wanted desperately to change and did not find their orientation changing. Now, there's all kinds of changes that can be made in terms of behavior and what you do with those feelings. Uh, and a lot of folks who are in the, the ex-gay movement uh, later came back and said, well, yeah, my attractions never really changed, but I found a way to live as though they had changed. I found a way to live, you know, as a straight person, even though my attractions still were, uh, were gay or lesbian. Now, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess is, is up to you. Um, but the idea that orientation gets changed, I suppose I should say sometimes apparently it happens. God does miracles, right? Sometimes God does miracles. Sometimes we pray for somebody to be healed, and they're just healed, like, on the spot. It seems like the vast majority of the time, God, we ask for healing, and God heals through medication, through doctors, through all the kind of normal ways of healing. Um, that seems to be the case here as well. So, I don't know what specifically he was referring to here, um, and what had changed in their lives. Uh, I don't know if this was, uh, oh... I, I should say, some of you are wondering, like, wait a second, wait a second, wasn't there another Old Testament reference to, to like, the gay people? Um, that whole Sodom and Gomorrah story, right? Isn't that why we used to call them Sodomites, because of that story? Because, uh, you know, Sodom, we got the story of, uh, it's back in Genesis, where Abraham's nephew Lot lived in this wicked city of Sodom, and, and uh, when God's going to destroy it, and Abraham says, well, wait, what if there's some righteous people? I don't want my nephew to die. What if there's a, he bargains with God, gets him down to, like, five people. If you can just find five righteous people, could you spare the city for the sake of those five? And God says, sure, fine. Let me go investigate. Send some angels. They go to town. Uh, the lot sees them in the middle of town. Hospitality was a huge deal in those cultures because you couldn't just go to the, you know, the, the hotel or, or, you know, there's no Airbnb or anything. You went to the, the town square, and someone welcomed you in so to keep you safe in the evening. And no one had welcomed them in. Lot meets these two, just appear to be men. Um, we know them as angels. He just appeared to be men. He says, oh, please, stay with me. The, a bunch of folks from town come banging on Lot's door and say, give us those two men. We want to have sex with them. 
which is strange. It says the whole town came out, which like the whole town isn't gay, right? I mean, this, this seems to be this seems to be an expression of like violence toward strangers, violence toward outsiders. Just like in the military, if they conquered, if they conquered the other army, they would often rape the, the other uh, men in the military to take away their virility, to take away their manhood, to show their dominance over them, um, which to us now sounds like horrific. These are human rights abuses, but that was common in that, in that time and in that place, and that appears to be what was going on there. And, uh, and eventually the angels like, blind all the men of town and they escape and it's, there's a whole story there that gets pretty weird and ugly, uh, uglier even than that. But it doesn't seem to be talking about people who are gay. It seems to be a story about violence and about rape, about uh, dominance. So, um, sorry. so there are some folks who in some of the churches that would disagree with us on these issues that would say that's what's being referred to in these passages. You know, some type, sort of rape, some sort of abuse, you know, uh, especially in the Greco-Roman world, it was fairly common for, and different in the Greek world and the Roman world, for, uh, for older men to sexually abuse uh, boys, servants, um, for their own pleasure. It was like a socially acceptable thing to do for some reason. All right, we live in a very different world than they did. And so some have said, this is what is being referred to in these verses. The other one, sorry, the last one is, is there from 1 Timothy chapter 1, where he says, We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, which is actually just the same word as one of those two that was used above, the same Greek word, arsenokoites, I think is the word. Anyway, uh, the, the word for the active partner. For slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. He's telling Timothy, like, look, God gave us laws, but it was to point out sin. The law doesn't make us right with God. The law points out sin. It's, it's made for the ungodly, all these folks who do all these things that we all recognize are wrong. It, it confirms that we are wrong and that we need God's grace. In fact, just a few verses later, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He doesn't say, they're the worst. Remember those, those dirty, rotten sinners we were just talking about a moment ago? They're the worst. No, no, he says, I am the worst of all sinners. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So, so there are five verses there in the Bible that, that refer to same-sex sexual activity. Um, our church, our denomination has not yet been convinced, like our scholars have not yet been convinced that, that these are referring to something different enough from what uh, is seen today that they, that they can be seen as just specific, uh, um, addressing specific issues of that time and place. Our denomination has still said that, like, no, we believe that this is a blanket uh, statement that same-sex sexual activity is sinful. Again, not that your orientation is sinful, um, not that having feelings towards someone else is sinful, because you know, otherwise we'd just all be done. Um, but to act on those, uh, to engage in those same-sex sexual behaviors would be, would be sinful according to these, these scriptures. Now, I've got to say, uh, saying that I know is like, seems impossibly hard to anyone who is experiencing that. Um, I can't imagine if, if I just heard this, somebody else put it this way. Um, 
I said, imagine if, if God spoke from the sky all of a sudden. You know, we're gathered here, and all of a sudden this booming voice speaks to us, and we all just recognize in our bones this is God. And he says, hey, from now on, there is no more marriage. Those of you who are married, you're going to have to separate from your spouse. There's no more, no more getting married, no more having sex. That's all done now. See you later. You know. how, would you, how would you feel? You know, those of you who are married, you know, those of you who are looking forward to marriage, how, how would you feel? You'd be like, wait, God, are you, are you sure? Am I going to have to just be alone? What, what does that mean for me? Wait, so I can't, can, can we still like live together even if we're not married? Can we be companions? Can we be, because for a lot of folks, you know, this whole idea of marriage is not just about sex. This isn't just a sex question. It's like, I don't, you know, I want someone to, to drive me to the hospital when I need to go to the hospital. I want somebody to watch TV with. I want somebody to, to raise children with. I want someone to spend time with, to be there for me, to, to do life with. And for a church to say, look, we believe that to, to follow those uh, attractions toward a romantic relationship that would be consummated in marriage. So, like, I can't, I can't perform a wedding for uh, a gay couple or a lesbian couple. I'm not allowed to do that by our denomination. Um, I know that that's a difficult thing to say. The only way that might be even remotely plausible for folks would be if we as the Christian community say, look, we will love you no matter what, and we will welcome you into our homes, and we will welcome you to our family gatherings, and you won't have to spend a Christmas alone the rest of your life. You, know, you, will, you will never find yourself uh, wondering if there's someone who will take me in or someone who will you know, help me. Um, we are going to be your family. We're going to be there with you and for you no matter what. The only way that this is, that the ask that, that our church makes of folks who are, um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, is it's such a huge ask that uh, it, could only be, it could only be possible if we, frankly, start taking the Bible very seriously about us being the family of God and the body of Christ. Uh, there's, there's other scriptures here uh, that have to do with you know, loving everyone, um, again, doing to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, oh, man, the bit Jesus says about you know, not pointing out others, other people's sins and issues without dealing with your own. Um, and I guess when it comes back to that question about uh, the church or about a family, welcoming people and staying true to God's word, I gotta say, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about us as a church, all right? Um, we're going to welcome everyone to be a part of our, of our church family. Um, some of you guys know, we've, we've had, we've had uh, gay folks here, uh, trans folks here, people who uh, who know that they are loved, who are part of our church, and we are so glad that they're here. We don't necessarily agree with them about everything, and that's okay. We can still love them, and they're welcome. Um, I'm, I'm not really concerned that our church is going to, like, how to navigate that. I think, we can, I think we've done a decent job over the years of saying, you know, we're going to welcome you, and we're going to love you whether we agree with you or not. And, um, and helping people to grow closer to Jesus uh, in their walk with Christ. I mean, for me, ultimately, as a pastor, that's where I kind of come down, is that, like, my job is to love folks and to point them toward Jesus, to love you and to point you toward Jesus. And as you encounter Jesus, um, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you my best understanding of what the Bible says and how we live, live that out. And if, as you come to me, as we have conversations, we'll talk about that, you know. Um, but my goal is for you to connect with Jesus and to follow him more closely and to follow him in every area of your life. 
And if you disagree with me on some particular aspect of that, um, it's not my job to say, well, then, you know, suddenly I turn into like your judge or something. Um, I'm called to be a witness, right? I'm not called to be the prosecutor or even the defense attorney, certainly not the judge. I'm called to be a witness. And I say, well, here's what I believe about this. And we disagree about this, but I, I hope you know that I still love you, right? I mean, that to me comes first and foremost. And so when I think about family members, and I don't know if we'll face this ourselves personally, our boys are five, you know, they don't know anything about anything yet, you know, when it comes to these kinds of questions. Um, we have no idea if this is something that we'll face personally, uh, like some of you have and are. My hope is that we would love our kids no matter what, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, no matter what we might disagree with, might disagree about, you know that we love you, right? You know that you're always welcome here. You always have a place in our home, at our table, that we will always be there for you. Um, one of the... I know we're, we're almost out of time, and we're gonna, I'm going to pause. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate communion together. Um, I just want to say one of the distressing things to me on this topic is when you read about the statistics of how many, uh, how many LGBT young people are on the streets are homeless because they've been kicked out of their homes, many of them by Christian parents who have said, we won't have that in our house. And now these kids are on the street and they are suffering, and some of them dying. Far too many. The suicide rates, the, the rates of violence, they're all way up high for, for LGBT youth. Um, I, I'm afraid that, just like I mentioned earlier in the AIDS crisis and how the church could have been on the forefront of loving our neighbors uh, who were struggling with AIDS, and, and we could have been the ones opening the clinics and doing our best to help them and to provide care for them, as they suffered and died, and instead the church largely kept our distance and pointed fingers, and like we look at that today, I look at that today and say, what a, what a, horrible, what a horrible way to try to represent Christ in the world. Um, what a missed opportunity to love and to care. And I sure hope that I'm not, you know, 20 years from now looking back at this time with what's happening with LGBT youth in particular and saying, oh, what a horrible thing that we as a church did pushing them out, casting them aside, making them feel like they were not loved by God or not loved by us. My hope is that any parent or any church would say to anyone um, who's LGBTQ, say, boy, we might disagree about all kinds of stuff, but I want you to know you are loved. You are loved here. You are loved by me. You are loved by us. I'm thankful to God that, uh, that he has loved me in spite of my sin. And uh, that's what we're going to celebrate in just a moment. So let's go ahead. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You did not wait for us to get our act together. You didn't wait for us to agree about everything. God, you came to us in Jesus Christ. You entered into our broken humanity. And you loved us. Lord Jesus, we did the worst thing imaginable. We, we put you on a cross. We took your life. And as we did so, you prayed for us, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. What came out of you when we crushed you was love. Thank you for loving us no matter what. Thank you that because of your love, we find ourselves uh, 
gripped by you. We find ourselves uh, unable to escape your love and your grace. Thank you, God, that as we turn toward you, as we acknowledge to you that we don't have it all together, that we don't have it all figured out, that we have been living our lives in a way that made sense to us, but now we're recognizing that, that it hasn't been honoring you. God, as we come to you and confess our sins, you are faithful. You are just. You forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have all sinned and we've all fallen short of your glorious standard for our lives. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to do what we could never do, to live a life we could never live, to die a death that we deserve to die. And by his death and resurrection, you defeated the powers of sin and death and you have set us free. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you that when we want to run and hide, you instead invite us to boldly approach the throne of our gracious God to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the image in my head as I think of us accepting your invitation to communion today, God. Jesus, I remember that when you celebrated that meal with your disciples, you, you washed the feet even of the one who would betray you. You washed the feet of Peter who would deny knowing you. You were gracious and good to your disciples who would abandon you. So today, we thank you that you welcome us at your table, that you extend your grace and your mercy and your life to us, dirty, rotten sinners who come to you in need of grace, in need of strength, in need of help. We offer to you these simple gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We pray that as we offer ourselves to you, that by your Spirit's presence among us, that we might find ourselves changed from the inside out, transformed into a people who can display your grace and your love to the people around us, to everyone, no matter who they are, no matter how we may disagree with them. Thank you, God, for the love you have, you have loved us with. Thank you for the love you fill our hearts with to overflowing, for the love that you give us for those around us. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, for those of you who are watching online, now is a great time if you haven't already to gather some elements together if you would like to celebrate communion with us, some bread, some juice, or the closest equivalent. For those of us in the room, we've got these little cups on our tables and our chairs that so I look forward to the day when we can kind of come to the table uh, once more. Um, but until then, uh, we'll do the best that we can uh, to celebrate in a way that, uh, that allows us to experience God's grace in a, in a tangible, touchable way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for inviting us to your table to, to come to you together in need of your grace, in need of your mercy, recognizing that you have given it to us in your son, Jesus Christ. On the night that 
he was betrayed as he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Our Lord took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take this, eat it, all of you. This is my body broken for you. When you do this, eat it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. After the meal, he took the cup, gave thanks for it, gave it to his disciples and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new agreement, the new covenant between God and humanity. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the immense love that you have shown to each one of us. Would you fill us today with your spirit of love so that we might do a good job of loving the people around us? Thank you, God. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you still have questions, that's okay. I still have some questions too. I'd invite you to join me on Wednesday night or to share them with me later. I'd love to talk with you about them. But right now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.